The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome Dr. Margot Wutan. She is the Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science and the Public Interest. She received her Bachelor of Science degree in nutrition from Cornell University and her Doctorate in Nutrition from Harvard University School of Public Health. Dr. Wutan co-founded and coordinates the National Alliance for Nutrition and Activity and the Food Marketing Workgroup. She has coordinated and led efforts to require calorie labeling at fast food and other chain restaurants, trans fat labeling on packaged foods, improved school food, and a reduction of junk food marketing aimed at children, which is going to be largely the focus of our conversation today. If you know that the new film Fed Up has just been released and Dr. Bhutan is featured there, I am a member of the Food Marketing Workgroup, and I knew I wanted to have Dr. Wutan as a guest because of the insidious, ubiquitous, and strategic nature of food marketing directed to children. I recently heard her speak at the Association of Healthcare Journalists meeting where she spoke about food safety, and I really like the idea of broadening the definition of food safety to include not just bacteria, but also ingredients and foods that can lead to chronic disease. So without further ado, Dr. Wutan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'll tell you what really sparked my interest in having you on so soon. And it was something that I've been dealing with for many years as a parent, and I know you do too, and it had to do with a fundraiser at school. And it had to do with a Krispy Kreme fundraiser that brought in about $1,900 to a school that was underfunded. And I thought, you know, it's such a shame that we are bringing dollars into public education through foods that harm our children. Tell me about your life's work in this area and how maybe parents can best respond to this kind of marketing. You know, Melinda, I got interested in food marketing professionally and personally at the same time. I was invited to give a talk at a big nutrition summit, one of the first nutrition summits at the federal government was pulling together, and they asked me to talk about food marketing. And it was something I had been thinking about getting into that CSPI had worked on years before and hadn't done much work on for a couple of decades. And then at the same time, my little girl started reaching for different products that she would see on the shelves at the supermarket. So I started reading papers, and she would be watching TV and asking for things that she saw advertised or asking for things in the grocery store. And at the same time, I was reading all these journal articles that talked about how powerful marketing is and how it influences kids' eating habits. And so that set me on this journey for over a decade. I've been working to try to reduce unhealthy food marketing to kids through policies and also by encouraging companies to do the right thing. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw food marketing directed to kids. It was in my son's kindergarten classroom, and he'll he'll be 30. So just to tell you how many decades we have been looking at this, and I know parents before us were working on it as well with regard to cereal advertising. 
but there was a Pepsi calendar hanging in his kindergarten classroom. And I thought, what is that doing there? That's kind of strange. And then through the course of my children's career in school, I realized just how insidious it was. And the McTeacher Nights are certainly one example. And your website, the Center for Science and the Public Interest website, which is cspinet.org, has a wonderful section on all kinds of marketing directed to kids and what parents can do. And your food marketing work group, of course, has a hall of shame where we can see just how extensive marketers are with regard to reaching kids from school buses to playgrounds, fundraisers, etc. But we have to, I think, go upstream in public health terms and say, why is it that schools are allowing these companies in when we teach something different in the classroom? You know, schools are oftentimes really functioning on very tight budgets and looking for ways to bring money in. But what we've been trying to teach schools is that there are healthy ways to raise money. You don't have to sell cookie dough, pizza kits, and donuts. If you need to raise funds, you can sell calendars and Christmas trees and first aid kits. But schools have done all kinds of different fundraisers, selling different products, organizing physical activity events like fun runs, and they actually can make as much or more money with healthy fundraisers. And so it's a matter of just getting schools to think about it and realizing that the way they've been raising money over the years just doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense to raise money at the expense of our kids' health. It's not good in the long term, and it's also not good in the short term because it's harder for kids to learn if they're not healthy. You bring up a very good point about how much money the schools actually make with these fundraisers. So, for example, on your website, the Center for Science and the Public Interest, there is one of your resources. It was published actually back in 2003, so I don't know how these numbers pan out 10 years later. But at the time, the Campbell's Labels for Education program was encouraging families to collect labels from Campbell's products that schools can redeem for equipment. So, how much would someone have to spend on soup in order to get some of these products? And what CSBI found was that parents would have to buy some $2,500 worth of soup for the school to qualify for a $59 stapler. And I'm thinking that things probably haven't changed so much in that area. No, those numbers are still about the same. That A lot of times people think these fundraisers are so profitable because that's what they've always done. But when you really dig deeper, you realize not only are a lot of these fundraisers not good for kids' health, but financially they're not that great for schools. Campbell's Labels for Education is a good example. The um, General Mills Company also has a similar fundraising activity that schools can participate in where they collect box tops and can turn those in for cash. And they they get a lot of free advertising out of it. At my daughter's elementary school, they would have something in the newsletter, the PTA newsletter, every single week saying, you know, buy General Mills products, collect the box tops. So a free ad going out to 800 parents every single week. And then the school would raise about $400. Now, $400 is nice. But our elementary school raised over $200,000 a year. $400 was a tiny, tiny part of our budget and, you know, wasn't really worth the amount of work and effort and certainly not worth the marketing. 
we did an analysis and found both for Campbell's and General Mills, about 80% of the food products that are part of these fundraisers are unhealthy. They're too high in calories or fat or salt or sugar. That we need to change the way schools think about marketing and raising money and realize that healthy fundraisers are not only good for kids, but they're also good for schools. And Dee, have you ever found this to be the case, that if you bring up the problem with having these kinds of fundraisers, that you're labeled as the food police? I have been called the food police, the cupcake police, and other things over the years. But I think people can be defensive, and change is always hard. You know, a lot of people just resist change, even if that change is good. And so working with the school to bring them along, offering to help with the fundraiser, to help organize a fundraiser, to give ideas so that they can see that it'll work. You know, it's just easier to keep doing what you've always done. If you've always sold cookie dough or candy bars or donuts, to keep doing that because you know how much you'll raise, you know how to do it, you have the instructions from the year before. When you do a new fundraiser, there's a little more risk. But I think what schools are finding is when they try these alternatives, they actually are oftentimes easier and more profitable. Well, the school districts are just one place where children are targeted. And I think that certainly over the course of the decades, you know, it used to be when my kids were young, the primary source of food advertising was the television. And I think it still is the primary source, but there have now been just an explosion of avenues to reach children. So, for example, everybody's got this third screen, the handheld phone where children are targeted individually. There are computer games, adver gaming. And the schools then provide one source of targeting, but then when kids get out of school, it's everywhere too. And so what can parents do? I feel like we're told that, well, you know, it's up to us to make the decision to say no, but I don't believe parents really understand just how difficult we all find it to navigate this environment that is so commercially ridden. You know, one of the problems with the way the food industry talks about food marketing and really parents feeding their kids healthfully overall, they make parents feel so isolated. You know, they say, well, it's all parental responsibility and what you choose. You should be the one to choose what your kids are going to eat. And then at the same time, they spend $2 billion a year trying to convince your kids to eat what they want them to eat, not what the parents want them to eat. So if the companies really thought that it's all up to parents and that parents should make these decisions, then they would market to parents and let parents decide what to feed their kids. And so parents oftentimes feel like they're the only one who's struggling to feed their kids well, when in fact, this is a societal problem. You know, a third of children are overweight. Two-thirds of us as adults are overweight or obese. That if we don't deal with these problems together as a society, it makes it so much harder for parents and individuals to eat healthfully and to watch their weight. So the industry has been told through the Institute of Medicine report, which came out saying, yes, advertising works. Children do ask for and prefer foods that they see advertised. 
But if I recall correctly, the recommendation from the Institute of Medicine report was, you know, come on, food industry, let's be better at what you're doing. It was all about self-regulation, not mandatory laws controlling what they do. But in my reading of the information on the Food Marketing Workgroup website, I'm finding that self-regulation, which is what the industry wants, is not effective. Would you agree? I would say that self-regulation is having a positive effect on the food marketing environment, that we're moving in the right direction, but that we have a long way to go and that companies need to do more and do it faster. So over the last five or six years, the amount of food marketing aimed at kids has decreased for the first time ever. So we did this study of Nickelodeon, which is the biggest marketer to kids, and the percent of food ads that are unhealthy went down from about 90% of the ads being unhealthy to 70%. So 90% to 70%, that's a good drop and shows it's moving in the right direction. But still, 70% of the food ads aimed at kids being for unhealthy foods is not acceptable and is not, I would not say that that's effective self-regulation. So I think the companies have taken some good initial steps and they have a framework in place. They have a self-regulatory program in place, but they need to strengthen the nutrition standards. More companies need to join into the self-regulation program. And also really importantly, they need to address all their types of marketing. Right now, they're all covering like TV, radio, kids' magazine ads, but they need to cover all their marketing. They don't cover the toys that are given away with fast food meals, which is a huge type of marketing, and fast food is one of the biggest categories of foods marketed to kids, and they don't cover on-packaged marketing, Mm. so all those characters and games and toys and things that are right on the package to appeal to kids. They also don't count that as marketing. They, they're not addressing it anyway. So I think we're still willing to give companies a chance to do the right thing, but they need to do better than they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Margot Wutan. She is the Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and she has been a tireless advocate working to reduce the harmful effects of junk food marketing to children as well as promoting food labeling at restaurants, and the trans fat labeling on packaged foods, also looking at school foods and reducing junk food marketing overall through all of these channels. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of these other channels and how can parents keep their finger on the pulse of what their kids see? You know, sitting down with your children watching television is a group activity, But when children are on computers and playing games or when they have their mobile devices, they're being bombarded with ads, and it kind of leaves parents out of the loop. So do you have any suggestions on how we can navigate that stream of marketing? Well, that's another place where companies or conservative legislators pointing their finger at parents and just saying, it's all up to you, parents. It's all your fault. Be a better parent. If you don't want your kid to see ads, just turn off the TV That doesn't really work in America today because though TV, as you said, is still the biggest source of unhealthy food marketing aimed at kids, kids are bombarded with $2 billion worth of messages encouraging them to eat the wrong kinds of foods. And it's everywhere children go, in schools, as we talked about, 
on packages that they see in the grocery store, in-store displays, the candy at the checkout, and virtually every store that you bring your children, on screens, cell phones, iPads, that even if your child never watches TV, they are still going to see a lot of unhealthy food marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just want to present a statistic that I found on the foodmarketing.org website, which is a terrific website. We should just promote that as much as we can to our listeners. But this is that based on an extensive review of the research, the American Psychological Association concluded that until the age of about eight years of age, children are unable to understand the persuasive intent of advertisements. So not only are they being bombarded with ads, but they don't understand the intent of those messages. So again, it's the parent is running interference, but we really need some policies to help us. Yeah, if it was just a one kid every once in a while that was faced with these problems, if it was only affecting a few families, then it might make sense to put all the responsibility on those individuals. But in this case, all kids are seeing so much marketing for unhealthy foods. And it's not just about parents saying no to their kids. You know, studies show, companies know that parents say no quite a bit. The problem is, is that the marketing cultivates a desire for food. And the kinds of foods that companies are encouraging kids to eat, that they are cultivating, the kind of dietary practices that companies are cultivating are very different than the kinds of dietary practices that dietitians and doctors and parents want their kids to have. So that you know, the kinds of foods that kids are encouraged to eat are very different than the kinds of foods that they should eat. And it helps to define for kids what they even think of as food. You know, marketing is one of the big reasons why kids think that hamburgers, pizza, chicken nuggets with a side of fries and a soft drink is the ideal meal or even is a meal. That's what, you know, people have come to think of as kid food. And that's not something that kids are born with. That comes from marketing. Mm -hmm. I was alarmed not only to learn about this $2 billion that are spent each year marketing food to kids, but I was really alarmed to learn that this kind of marketing is subsidized by tax deductions, so by you and me, the taxpayer. So I just learned that legislation has been introduced by Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, and the bill is labeled the Stop Subsidizing Childhood Obesity Act, and that would direct the revenue generated by eliminating tax deductions to the USDA's fresh fruit and vegetable program. So I guess I need to restate this because I found it to be so unbelievable that taxpayers are indirectly subsidizing advertising to kids? How can that be? It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, bad enough that companies are spending their own money cultivating bad eating habits and promoting obesity to kids, but that we allow them to write off some of those expenses and subsidize the promotion of obesity to kids doesn't make any sense. You know, at the same time, we're underfunding nutrition education in schools. The Team Nutrition Program has a very small budget. The Centers for Disease Control, CDC's Nutrition and Physical Activity Program is way underfunded. That we're not doing enough to promote healthy eating to begin with, 
And at the same time, we're subsidizing the promotion of unhealthy eating habits to kids. It doesn't make any sense. So we're thrilled to be working with Senator Blumenthal and Senator Harkin and also with Representative DeLauro on these bills to get rid of this tax loophole. So at least we're not incentivizing and subsidizing companies' promotion of unhealthy foods. We hope this will be a good incentive to get more companies to shift the mix of products that they market. You know, I wouldn't mind if companies were marketing broccoli and bananas and holy bread to kids, but that's not what they're spending their money on right now. And this will provide a disincentive for them to market unhealthy foods and an incentive to market healthy foods because then they could write that off. Can you explain to me how on earth a tax code could be written that would allow this kind of subsidization? So the way it works is it's not a specific write-off for unhealthy food marketing. They actually can write off all of their advertising. But that includes this $2 billion worth of unhealthy food marketing expenditures. So what we're saying, okay, for regular business expenses, fine. If those are deducted, that's fine. That's just the way it's been done. But just take away the subsidy. Don't allow the deductions for any expenditures for unhealthy food marketing. So it's not written in as just unhealthy food marketing. It's all marketing can be written off. But let's just make it only the healthy marketing can, not the unhealthy market. Mm-hmm. It's a terrific law. Well, it's not a law yet. It's a terrific bill, and we hope to see it passed. And for our listeners, I just want to reiterate again, going to cspinet.org and getting updates on legislation as well as social media strategies. And I just want to pull out something from this press release that I received today, which is that according to research published in the Journal of Law and Economics, eliminating the deductibility of costs associated with unhealthy food marketing could reduce rates of obesity by 5 to 7 percent, which would mean 700,000 to 1 million fewer obese children. So somebody has done the math here and found that these kinds of bills actually do help reduce obesity. You know, I am more and more convinced over the years of the power of marketing. I think both I've had some experience in doing marketing campaigns where we promote healthy eating. We did some campaigns to encourage people to switch from high-fat to low-fat milk, which were very effective. And we see companies investing all this money into food marketing, so they clearly know it works. But also, of all the things that I've worked on around nutrition policy, the thing that the companies are most resistant to policy changes on is changes to food advertising. We worked on a bill a couple of years ago that just would have had a couple of key agencies develop model voluntary guidelines for food marketing to kids. And the food companies opposed that so vigorously, more so than almost anything that I've ever worked on. So I think not only from looking at the science, but also looking at how much companies spend on food marketing, seeing the effects of food marketing on kids firsthand as a mom, and seeing politically how much the companies invest in order to prevent changes food marketing policy. I'm convinced that changing the food marketing environment, reducing unhealthy food marketing to kids is probably one of the most important things we need to do in order to help our kids 
eat more healthfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it absolutely hit a nerve with the food industry, and I think that tells us something, that we're on the right track. And I want to commend you for your efforts using social media, and I think that this kind of, I guess you could call it public shaming, if you will, but to say, you know, our profits so important to you that you would sacrifice our nation's health. I mean, this is really, we're talking about not only food safety, we're talking about food security, we're talking about homeland security, we're talking about our future. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to put profits above the thing that I think most people would agree that our children are the most important things in our lives, they are our future. So, using social media, however, I think is a brilliant strategy that I've seen you use where we have an army of moms saying enough is enough and shame on you, Nickelodeon, for example, for advertising the very kinds of foods that are going to make our kids sick, maybe not tomorrow, but 10 or 20 years down the road. Yeah, for folks who are on social media, if they want to follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook, getting involved in those social media campaigns can really make a big difference. A handful of tweets a company can get them to change their products and practices. You know, we oftentimes think about these big global corporations and how impossible it is to change them, but we've gotten them to change already. Already, 17 of the biggest food companies in this country have agreed to cut back on junk food marketing to kids, and it's making a difference, but we need to get them to do more to cover all their marketing. You know, right now, they consider sugar-free Kool-Aid spaghettios, popsicles, and a lot of other foods that most parents don't think of as healthy as foods that are healthy to market to kids. So we need to get them to take the next step and have stronger nutrition standards that cover all their media. You know, just sending a tweet to Nickelodeon, joining in with other parents on that kind of campaign really can get them to change their practices and has. So we hope that people will join us on Facebook and Twitter follow these campaigns, and send a tweet, send an email to these companies because it really can make a difference. Mm -hmm. I agree. We just have a minute left, so I want to give you a chance to send our listeners a charge or leave us with a piece of information that you had hoped I would cover. Well, it's been a great conversation. I think helping people to realize that, of course, we as parents have the ultimate responsibility for feeding our kids healthfully. But just understanding how the food environment affects our job, the candy at the checkout isn't there by accident. It's there because companies know that just seeing food will make kids feel hungry and get them to want to buy candy. The advertising on television, on iPad apps, in school, all of this really shapes kids' eating habits in a way that's so powerful. And companies right now are undermining parents. They're making their job harder. And I think we as parents need to speak up and say that, you know, we as parents should get to decide what our kids eat. Not SpongeBob, not Dora the Explorer, not some other character ad. And ask the companies to step back so that we can step up and do what we want to do for our kids. So I hope people find us online at cspinet.org and send emails to companies. Follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. We're at CSPI on Twitter and on Facebook if they just search for either Center for Science and the Public Interest or CSPI. We'd love to work with them. 
That's wonderful. I want to thank you so much for being my guest. We have been speaking with Dr. Margot Wutan, who is the Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science and the Public Interest. And in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I want to remind our listeners to go to cspinet.org. We'll provide that link. And there are very specific pieces of information that I absolutely want to emphasize, including fundraising options available to schools that are healthy and have our children's best interest in mind. Dr. Wutan, thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. 